0: You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. All right. Well, hey, I would love for you to open up your Bibles to the book of John this morning. And as you're open to the book of John in the New Testament, uh, it's four in, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, John, uh, one of the things that I love about today is uh, we're officially kind of kicking off the Christmas season. Uh, I love the fact that like, I think, I'm just going to tell you, I think it's kind of like God smiling upon us that today at Red Church, we're kicking off a Christmas series and it's snowing, and so I'm excited about that because it feels like Christmas. If it's like 70 degrees, it just doesn't feel uh, like Christmas, and I love Christmas. I'm just going to tell you about my heart a little bit is I absolutely love Christmas. Uh, the Christmas season. And there's things that I love about the Christmas season, but one of the main things I love about this season is the lights. I love Christmas lights. and of lights on houses, lights on trees. Uh, we have lights on our fence. I mean, I'm just a big fan. We have garland in our house put up with the lights twisted in the garland. I'm a big fan of Christmas lights. Uh, we as a family will spend time during the Christmas se- season Driving around at night, just looking at Christmas lights. So if your house is decked out, let me know, and we will cruise by. We will come check out uh, your Christmas lights. But I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of the Christmas music because you can't really listen to it any other time of the year. You know, Uh, if you're like rocking "We Three Kings of Orient Are" in June, it just doesn't. You know, it's just not going to happen. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But with that said, there's a few things about the Christmas season that I don't like. In fact, one of my least favorite things about this season that we're in right now is for whatever reason, the Christmas season is a busy one. And I feel like there's a little bit of pressure that comes with the, the Christmas season. And I'm not sure why we made it the way we made it, but it's just the way it is. In fact, I think it's it's kind of crazy, but it's a reality that uh, we spend Thanksgiving, which is always a Thursday, being so thankful, eating a big meal, spending time with family. And then the very next day, our culture and, and, and society loses its mind at the day after being thankful to go get all the stuff they wish they had, right? And all of a sudden you've got Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Small Business Saturday. I mean, you've got all this stuff of just getting, getting, getting. And what happens is, is that, Christmas season has the ability to compress time. And what I mean by that is it's within like just 30 days or so, you have to figure out who you will see, who you won't see, when will you see them, what parties are you going to go to, what gatherings are you going to are you gonna host yourself. And if you're going to host, how do you navigate having that guy or that girl in the same room at the same time? And where do you sit them at the table? Where do you spend Christmas Eve? Where do you spend Christmas Day? Who will you shop for? Who won't you shop for? And how in the world will you afford any of it? That really what can happen is the Christmas season can be like a magnifying glass. Now, I remember when I was growing up, we would go to my nana's house, my grandmother. We called her nana. And Nana had magnifying glasses all over the house. And I remember that she would look at ads in the newspaper and she'd use a magnifying glass. And if you haven't used a magnifying glass in a while, it's a, it's a little tool that you would use uh, that if you put it up to something, it makes it bigger. And so my sister and I would have fun with these because if you held it the right way, it could make your eye look huge or you could make somebody look far away. I, I discovered early on that a little bit of sunlight at the right angle and a magnifying glass was kind of a neat thing, and I got really good at that. But we would go to my grandmother's house and play with magnifying glasses because she had them all over her house because she loved to to read and the christmas season can be a magnifier it can make the things in our lives bigger in fact it has the tendency to exaggerate the bad and at the same time point us to something that's incredible in fact the christmas season is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year at least that's what the songs tell us right that it's the most wonderful time of the year. But if we're completely honest, the Christmas season can be simultaneously wonderful and terrible at the same time. That in the Christmas season, we're reminded of the problems that we cannot solve, the people that we cannot control, and the expectations that we'll never meet. Now, if we're really, really honest... we're really transparent with one another, sometimes I'm the problem, sometimes I'm the one setting the expectation that can never be met, and sometimes I'm the person that can't be controlled. And sometimes you're the person that creates the problem, sometimes you're the person that sets the expectation, and sometimes you're the person that can't be controlled. And see, the Christmas season is wonderful, but it's not wonderful because of what is currently happening Around us, See, what happens at Christmas, because it's a magnifier, is we tend to get so focused on the calendar and the shopping list and who are we going to see and where are we going to travel and who's going to travel to see us that we get so focused on what's happening around us. But Christmas is not wonderful, not because of what's happening around us. Christmas is wonderful because of something that's already happened. And one of the things we need to do in the Christmas season is refocus our attention off of what's currently happening around us back to the reason for the season, the thing that already happened. Because at Christmas, it's that season where we kind of slow down and our entire culture kind of pay attention and we're reminded that God loves us so much that he sent his son into the world to be the center of human history. Even better than that, God sent his son into the world to be the center of our lives. And see, the reason that's so important, the reason that it's so important that God would send Jesus to be the center of our lives is because when Jesus is the center of our lives, Jesus centers our lives. That when Jesus is the center of our life, the life is something stable and secure, When Jesus is at the center of our life, then our life is centered on something hopeful. That when Jesus becomes the center of our life, it means that we could actually have joy in a world where happiness is fleeting. That when Jesus is the center of our lives, it centers us that we live for purpose and meaning. We're reminded at Christmas that God loves us so much that he sent us Jesus, not just to be the center of human history, but also to be the center of your life and my life. What I'd love for you to be is in John chapter 1 this morning. And there's four Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, if you didn't grow up around the Bible or if, you're, if, you, if it's new being in the Gospels for you, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to pay attention to John this morning. Because every one of the gospel writers was with Jesus, spent time with Jesus, knew Jesus, and every single one of them gives an account of the birth of Jesus. But what I want to do for the month of December is really pay attention to John. Because John's gospel is a little bit different than the other gospels. Uh, John has a little bit different of a perspective in his writing. Now Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all were with Jesus, all wrote the scripture underneath the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it would be like this, it would be like if you and I saw the same event and we would tell the story of that event based on our perspective, our personality, and the way we talk or maybe write. And I want to introduce you to John a little bit. I want to talk to you maybe by John's perspective is just a little bit different. I want you to see the heart of the gospel writer, John. So here's a few things that I think are really interesting about John as we read his gospel. The first one is this. John had a really significant relationship with Jesus. A really significant, and I don't mean that he just loved Jesus If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus had the 12 disciples. And of the 12, Jesus spent a certain amount of extra time with three, Peter, James, and John. And so you'll see that all throughout the Gospels, if you really pay attention, there'll be times where it says, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. That means he only took those three. In fact, there were some significant events that took place where Jesus would call upon Peter, James, and John and go, Hey, just just you guys. I want you to come with me. And John had a really significant relationship with Jesus. In fact, John based his entire identity around the fact that Jesus loved him dearly. In fact, one of the nicknames that John has is the beloved disciple. In fact, even if you really pay attention as you read through the gospel of John, one of the things that John says over and over and over about himself in his gospel is that he is the one that Jesus loves. But I'm going to show you a scripture verse in just a minute where that's how John talks about himself. He doesn't use his name. He doesn't say, and Jesus told me. He'd say, and Jesus looked at the disciple that he loved, meaning himself, that that's how close he was to Jesus, and I kind of imagine, this isn't in the scripture, but I kind of imagine that, that John would begin to talk about how much Jesus loved him. The rest of the disciples were like, John, we know. You're the beloved disciple. But not only did Jesus have a really close relationship with John, but John was very close with Jesus' mother, Mary. And I think that's significant. In fact, in John chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus has been arrested He's been falsely tried, he's been beaten, and he's being crucified. And John tells us in John chapter 19, verse 26, that as Jesus looks at him, I want you to see, he says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John talking about himself, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now this takes a minute. Because what we could take that as is that Jesus looks at his mom and says, Hey mom, look at me, Jesus, your son. But what's actually taking place here is most scholars believe that Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, Mary and Joseph by the major, that guy, died actually pretty early in Jesus' life. At least before Jesus' crucifixion. Because Joseph is never mentioned in the scriptures during this part of Jesus' life. In ministry, And so most people believe that Jesus then being the oldest son in the Jewish custom would have become the head of the household, which means he was responsible for his mother and for all of his brothers. And the Old Testament, the fifth commandment says that you're supposed to honor your mother and father. Part of the Jewish custom, that just didn't mean you cleaned your room and did what they said and followed their instructions. It also meant you cared for them later in life that you made sure their needs were cared for. And so as Jesus sees his mother and as he sees John, what he really says is, mother, do you see John? He is now your son. And he says, John, do you see my mother? She is now your mother. And what he really does is he commissions John to say, John, I want you to treat my mother as your mother. I want you to care for her. And mom, you see John? I want you to love him like a son and follow his lead like you followed my lead. And see, the reason that that's so significant is not only did John have a really close relationship with Jesus, like if you think about this, he was around Jesus' mother all the time. And you just imagine the stories. Hey, Mary, tell me again. Hey, tell me again about the time that angel showed up. Tell, Tell me again about the journey to Bethlehem. Tell me again about that time Jesus ran away and you found him in the temple. Tell me again that you just imagine all the stories he heard over and over and over again, caring for and being with Mary. In fact, not only did John have a close relationship with Jesus, and not only did John have a close relationship with Mary, John was able to summarize God with one word. And see, for me, this is, this is really significant and this is really important. Here's why. I think, this is kind of one of my philosophies in life, right? I think the more you understand something, the more you understand something, if you really understand it, then you should be able to make it simple, right? If somebody's able to really know where you're going, they're able to give you easy instructions, Right? If somebody really truly understands something, they're able to break it down on a level that you can understand. But if someone does not fully understand something, it's really hard for them to make it clear. It's really hard for them to make it simple. And see, the reason I think this is important is because John had such a close relationship with Jesus. He had such a close relationship with Mary. I think John knew Jesus so well, so intimately, had so much relationship, had so many experiences that he knew the heart of God so well that he was able, unlike anybody else, to summarize God with one word. To go, listen, if you really want to understand how big God is, if you really want to understand who he is and what he's like, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, he says, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is Love. And he was, if you want me to define God and who he is and what he's like, he's love. And he gives us this summarization, this picture of who God is that is simple and clear, and that's totally understandable. And one of the things that's really interesting about the gospel of John is John wrote this at a very late stage of his life. He was a very old man when he wrote the gospel. In fact, most scholars and pastors and historians believe that John's gospel was the last gospel to be written. And that he wrote it as an old man who had recounted these stories over and over again that everywhere John went he would tell these stories to believers that he would visit churches and tell the stories that everywhere he went they'd go, "Hey, you're John the beloved. You you you're with Mary. Would you tell us who Jesus is and what he's like?" And one of the things that's interesting about John is because he lived the longest than all the other disciples that John would have experienced incredible loss, that he would have gone through some really difficult seasons. He lost friends, he lost family, he lost loved ones, but he never lost his faith. In fact, towards the end of his life as he writes his gospel. He actually gives us insight as to why he wrote it. Kind of going, hey, this is my heart. This is my desire. As you read my gospel, here's the result that I'm hoping for. And as he's writing his gospel under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he says it this way in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, now Jesus did many other signs. In in John's gospel, he outlines seven things that Jesus does. Signs that he is the Messiah. Things that John captures and goes, these seven things point to the fact that Jesus is the unique son of God who is the Messiah. And what John says is, hey, I only outline seven, but there's many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, one of the things that John absolutely believed is that Jesus was the source of life. And it goes beyond just our physical life. He says that Jesus is the life, the spiritual life. He's the source of the life that we all desperately, truly need. And he goes, the reason I wrote this gospel is because God told me to, but I really hope that it helps you to believe, that John wants us to believe in Jesus the way that he believes with. And one of the things that's really interesting about John's gospel then is is he recounts the story, as he sits down later in life to tell us about the coming of Jesus. He doesn't start with the shepherds. He doesn't start with the angels. He doesn't start with the, the manger scene, he doesn't start with Egypt or the wise men. Where most of the gospel writers start with the genealogy of this guy was related to this guy, who was related to this guy, well, some of them start with the history, here's what's happening. What John does is he starts with the significance of what happens. And so as John sits down to talk to us about the coming of Jesus, he goes back to the dark days. Between Malachi and the Gospels is 400 years of silence. God did not speak to his people. There was no real activity. It was a dark time. It was a, a quiet time that people were yearning and seeking and awaiting God to do something. And see, the reason this is so powerful, I think the reason we have to pause on this, the reason, going to spend a whole morning talking about this is because what John says to us about what is happening is also true for our lives. That in a time when things are complicated, in a time when time is compressed, in a time that we're reminded who is coming, but we're also reminded of who's not coming, in a season where we're excited about the things that we might get, we're also reminded of the things that we'll never get. And John speaks of the significance of Jesus, and he says it this way. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John goes, hey, this is the significance. In a season of darkness, in a season of silence, in a season where we hadn't heard from God, he goes, I want you to know who Jesus is. He's the Word. That He, he says that Jesus is actually the Word of God, that he is the communication of God. And he begins to, to tell us about the person of Jesus and, and what he's like, that he's eternal. He goes, listen, even though that Jesus is coming, even though he's about to be born, it's not like this is the first time he's existed. He's always been. There's never been a time that Jesus didn't exist. He's always been Father, Son, Spirit, the Holy Trinity. And he says that he's in the beginning and he was with God and he is God. In fact, he goes, he's the creator that there was absolutely nothing created that Jesus didn't create. All things were made through him. That means if you were to try to count the galaxies and the stars and the, the planets and the bacteria and all the animals and all the people, there was nothing that wasn't created by Jesus. He's the cosmic creator of all things. And I think John knows that that's like a big concept. And that even now we're going, okay, like how big is eternity? And how does that time thing work? Because we have a beginning and an end and God always was. And Jesus who always was is going to be born as a baby. And sometimes that can make our head hurt and we don't fully grasp it or understand it. And I can almost imagine that John sits down with a smile on his face. Going, how can we make this so simple? How can we make sure that everybody grasps this and knows the significance of this? And then he says it this way in verse four. He says, in him was life. In the life was the light of men. Because let me tell you how significant this is. Jesus is the life. In a time of silence, in a time of darkness, he is the light. And this is really significant because around this time when Jesus came, the people who were waiting thought the Messiah was just going to do something regionally. Like this was just for the Jews. This was just for the nation of Israel. This was just for the select few. And as John writes his gospel, he reminds us that it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for Israel, but that Jesus came for all people. And so he writes to us, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And see, I think he knew that we would all understand that, that we all know what it looks like to see one light in the darkness. But we all know what it's like to, to drive down a country road that is so dark that it seems like the darkness just encapsulates you, that it has just driven out all the light, and you can even see light from far away in absolute darkness darkness. And he says, Jesus is that kind of light. And then he goes on in verse five, and he says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not. Now, I think John maybe paused when he wrote this. So I think he's looking for the word. He goes, what did the darkness try to do? Because at the end of his life, as he thinks about all the things that have happened, as he thinks about Rome taking over the nation of Israel, when he thinks about the Roman army surrounding Israel and starving them out, as he thinks about the thousands and thousands of Jewish people that were killed and sold into Roman slavery, as he thinks about the destruction of the temple, as he thinks about both Paul and Peter being Executed by Nero, he thinks about that's all that's happened. That everything he once loved is now destroyed. The Israel that he once knew is no more. The disciples that he once spent so much time with following Jesus have all passed away and are already in heaven. And John goes, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's tried that the darkness always tries to push back the light. The darkness always tries to encapsulate and take over and drive back the light. But he says the light shines. As hard as the darkness has tried to drive it out, as hard as culture has tried to push back, as, as hard as those who oppose Jesus have tried to shut him down, he says is the light of men and the darkness has not overcome it. And it means for us that no matter what we face, no matter the circumstances that are happening in our lives, no matter what's going on around us, no matter the fear that we're faced with, the heartache that we experience, the pressure that we're under, the depression that we have, that Jesus is the life in the light of men. And there is no darkness that can snuff out the light of Jesus. see, this Christmas season, every single one of us will be faced with problems that we can't solve. In fact, sometimes you and I will be the problem that somebody else is trying to solve. We will experience things that we cannot control. We will face expectations that we'll never be able to meet because the reality is, is you can't make every single person happy. And when you sit down at the table this holiday season with the person that you've been arguing with every Christmas that you can remember, John reminds us that Jesus is the life and the light that overcomes darkness. It means there's always hope. It means that even when the world and even when our lives seems dark, that Jesus is the life and the light and the darkness hasn't overcome it, there's always hope. It means there's always a reason to believe. It means there's a God who loves us and always hears our prayer. It means that every single morning when the sun comes up, you and I have a reason to wake up every day, a reason to be thankful, and a reason to take a next step in our lives. It means that you and I, friends, can experience and obtain absolute full joy in a world that's trying just to sell us temporary happiness. See, friends, Christmas is wonderful, but it's not wonderful because of what's happening around us. Christmas is wonderful because of what already has happened, that your heavenly Father loved you and me and the whole world so much that he sent us his Son, Jesus, who is the life and the light of men. And the light has not overcome it. Not then, not now, not ever. And see, it means we have something to be thankful for. And I realize this probably also lands with us in very different ways. For some of us, maybe the reality is if we've been so focused on what's happening around us that maybe the light seems far off, distant, and dim. And I think John's words to you and to me, if we think the light's dim this morning, is that Jesus is the life and the light and nothing, absolutely nothing, can overcome it. That that life and that light is available to you today fully in Jesus. And for some of us, this is what we celebrate and this is what we treasure every year. It means in the mix of complexity, in the mix of frustration, In the midst of the holiday pressure, that we may not lose sight. That even when the world tries to get dark, that we have a light in Christ that always pulls us back, that always draws us in, that always gives us guidance. And so like we sometimes do from time to time at Redemption Church, is we're not going to resolve all of this today. What I would do is invite you to come back the next couple weeks as we continue in this series, The Light of Christmas. And the reason we're doing a series called The Light of Christmas is because Jesus is the light. And the light shines. And the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.